Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning. Each and every week, you know why you're tuning in here to hear from another driven entrepreneur, obviously, but we want to get into the stories. We want to get into what creates people just like me and you to put their butts on the line and create an endeavor where you get all the risk, but you get all the reward. With me today is someone who has done that many times over in multiple industries, from the real estate industry and cash flowing uh, multiple different properties, uh, to running thriving meetup groups, to of course doing podcasts as well. I always love having a fellow podcaster on. Adam Adams is with me today. He's a founder of growyourshow.com and he's helping people like me and you get our messages out to the world. Um, his clients are getting ranked in the top 1% of Apple Podcasts and other top charts, which means one thing, his clients have more influence than 99% of the other podcasters out there. There are well over a million podcasts, but is it too late to get in the game? No. If you're listening to this right now, Obviously, it's not too late to get in the game. I've been at this show for the last three years. If you just found me, hey, make sure you go back and check the archives. But no matter how long you've been listening to this or your favorite podcast show, it is never too late to get into a really, really powerful industry. And even if you don't see yourself as a thought leader and expert as a podcaster, if you run a business, your business should probably have a show. So we're going to talk all things podcasting and growing your influence with Adam Adams. Welcome, buddy. How are you, man? I'm fantastic. How are you, Matt? Really, really good. Great to uh, finally connect with you on the show. I think we met via the Clubhouse app like six months ago and scheduled this. I think I was really stacked at the time. You were too. Um, and then we're like, ah, summer, summer 2021. Nobody's doing anything then. <laughs> and then now it <laughs> caught up with us. So thanks for making it on, dude. Um, you do a ton of stuff. I want to start in the beginning, if we can, though, um, with your childhood. So as sure. a kid, what kind of kid were you? I ask this question a lot. Were you like the lemonade stand entrepreneur kid selling Costco candy or, to your schoolmates? Or were you going down a different track, You know, maybe the more uh, corporate or go to college because your parents said type of thing? What was your mindset like when you were young? I started working with my stepdad in... I was about five years old. So we had a tree farm and I started watering plants literally when I was five years old and driving the tractor when I was eight years old. And um, that was kind of like my life is just hard work, like putting in lots of hours when it was 90 or 100 degrees outside and doing it all summer long instead of uh, instead of playing with my my friends. So I've always kind of been a little bit of a workaholic my stepdad that I mentioned, he's a entrepreneur and a real estate investor. So growing up, he always tried to teach me a few lessons. Like you got to save 10%, you got to invest 10%, you got to pay yourself first 10%. And I'm like, well, if, if I'm going to do all of these things, you're going to give me only a dollar an hour. Uh, what am I going to, I'm, I only have like 60 cents. I could barely buy a candy bar. But as, as I went through and, and learned from him, he, he was of the same mindset of a guy named Robert Kiyosaki. Like he sure, read the book Robert Kiyosaki wrote right when it came out. We, we bought the game Cash Flow yep. like within a month of when it came out. And uh, he 
wanted to instill upon me that I, I should make as much money as I can, like in my active business and use um, like the, the benefit of taxes, like owning a business, having employees and being able to offset a lot of that income by the expenses so that you don't have to pay as much in taxes. And with whatever you have left over, he always said, put it into real estate. And I was a slow learner, to be honest. So it, it took me until I was in college and he finally just broke down. He's like, if this kid's not going to get it, I'm just going to buy him a piece of land. So he bought me a piece of land. I sold it. And a couple of years later and made a ton of money. And that's when I finally said, oh, that's what he's been talking about. So I was a slow learner. I was, a, I was a, a kid that liked to get into a little bit of trouble and try new things, but I was never a lemonade stand person a, until about college era. But it sounds like as a kid, you were a lot like me too. You know, I didn't have a lemonade stand, but my dad would always do odd jobs and make ends meet. And uh, he had a family business of refining silver. So I remember as a kid, I've shared the story before, we'd go around to chiropractor's offices collecting old x-rays until we got barrels full of the stuff. Apparently we could extract silver out of it. So he's paying me whatever it was, right? Like a dollar a pound or something to help him and run around the van. I don't think I wanted to do it necessarily, but looking back, it's like, that's a pretty cool story. I'm glad I got to do that. Are you happy looking back at the childhood going, you know what, man, thanks stepdad. Like that was cool that I, I did that. Or do you kind of feel like you missed out on some of the bike rides and hide and go seeks as, as it were? I would have to say I'm in the middle to be completely honest. I think kids should be kids. Sure. I think that is a big part of our growth, but at the same time, I wouldn't be the same person that I am today without doing it the way that I did. Did it so I never asked to change it, but I'm conscious about trying to instill both things in my kids as they grow up. Yeah, how old are your kids now, and how many do they're you have? Nine, they're nine and 13. Wow, that's got to be fun to see. Have you seen a huge change in the 13 year old, or has that happened yet? Tell me because I have a one 10 year old son, and I'm a little excited slash scared, you know. <clears throat> yes, and for sure, he's he's matured a ton, and he's an in. Uh, an incredible big brother. Um, he just got into mountain biking. Ooh. So I bought him literally yesterday. It's so funny we're recording today, but um, I bought him a mountain bike that's 10 times the cost of any of my mountain bikes that I ever had until I was 39 years old. And, uh, and, and I just think about it. Like, I love it so much. I wanted him to be part of it. So he took like, um, summer camp. He's been in summer camp recently and, um, we, we paid for him to do this mountain bike thing. And he got so good, so confident just from a week of riding a, a mountain bike every single day. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of changes for him and there's a lot to come. Uh, he's he's an awesome big brother, and now he and I are going to start riding bikes together. Man, that's awesome. That's so much fun. That's cool. When you look at your kids, what is what something comes to mind that you will make sure you want to repeat? Like you want to do the same thing that maybe your stepdad or your parents did for you and, and or what's something that you'd like to make sure you change? Anything come to mind that you're like, you know what? I'll never do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, for sure on the repeat, one thing with that my parents really did with me is they made me feel comfortable and like they weren't judging me they 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 wouldn't uh they knew that I a kid is a kid and we we learn and grow 
at, you know, each and every day. And so being completely open and honest with them about what was going on with girls and my friends and who was doing drugs at school, all of those types of things really helped me be a much better person because I had some friends that did the opposite of it and they just pretended like they were perfect with their parents, but they learned really well how to lie and how, how to be somebody that you're not. And for, so for sure, one of the absolute biggest things that I need to do, I've been trying to do is going to both sons many times a month. Hey, do you know I love you? Yes. Well, do you know I love you if you hit your brother? Yes. Do I, do you still know that I love you if you lie to me? Yes. What's the most important thing to me that I'm, that I'm open and honest with you. Okay. And I, and I just really want to beat so that good. in so that they understand like they can come to me with anything and they can be who they are to the core and they don't have to feel like they have to be two faced, which I think a, a, a good percentage, at least where I grew up in Utah, a good percentage of the kids that I grew up with were very good liars and would lie to their parents, but they would still do all of these other things. And I just don't want to see that for my kids. So that's one thing on the, I'm going to do that. And so something that I don't want to do that they did for me, I guess, is um, both parents worked. My mom was a, a project manager at first she was like a, a computer programmer and then she moved up to a project manager and she was always really satisfied with her success proud of herself in a way that she was a top one percent earner as a woman and my my stepdad also a top one percent earner and they both really um believed in like the importance of of work and work ethic and and, you know, being better than your parents were. The issue was that for the most part, and this is the first time I've said this on a podcast, but for the most part, it was kind of me and my sister as latchkey kids growing mm -hmm. up alone, uh, being our own parents, cooking our own breakfast, our own lunch. And, um, and I feel that the distance should probably not happen with our kids. I want to be more present. So when I'm developing my current company right now, I'm trying to make it something where my employees have all the scope of, you know, standard operating procedures. They have all their KPIs. They know what they're doing. We've got everything set up for them and it'll allow me to be able to take Tuesday off just to go biking or that's right. Or, uh, take them into school every morning, cook them dinner nearly every single uh, evening. I'll be able to, I, I cook them steak and whatever. Those types of things I didn't have when I was growing up. And so that's important to me to, to give my kids time and spend a little bit more time asking them, how was your day? What did you like about that? And diving deep. Um, I think that that's really going to affect them in a good way as they, as they grow older. I wonder if podcast hosts make uh, good dinner conversations. We'll see. <laughs> I imagine when you say, how was your day, son? Tell me, what did you like about that? You're diving in under the surface. It's interesting, you know, Adam, that it's like what you're saying, what I'm hearing at least is when you're growing up, you have maybe you're building more independence, you could say, because you're forced in a way to do more things on your own. 
But on the far scope of that, it's like, is it too much independence? Because you didn't have the same level of connection or the time or the depth, you know, what it sounds like. And it's, it's, it's interesting as a dad, right? Or, you know, as any parent, I want to avoid the mistakes. And I don't want to, I don't want my son to have the hurt that I had from XYZ. But sometimes it's like, am I going to rob him from, you know, the experience or am I, you know, I was too independent, so I'm going to take care of him. And there's a the risk of being not independent enough. I don't know. I look at my son and think, man, this is a phenomenal experiment. I hope he's going to turn out well because <laughs> he's the yeah. first one. Hey, man, let's uh, let's um, uh, move kind of right along and talk about, you mentioned about your business and your uh, KPIs and standard operating procedures and your employees. Your main business, are you talking, do you have multiple different businesses? I know you, you do your real estate investing and ownership, and I'm sure you probably have different entities, but... I guess what I'm really asking is, by and large, is do you run all your businesses like together, or is it, hey, I got my real estate office, my real estate peeps, and then I head over to my podcasting world and I have my podcasting employees. My question yeah. is, do the two intermingle? Is it all one big family that has departments? How do you operate different industries in business? So my ever since 2005, when I started doing real estate, Real estate has generally been a side business, a side hustle, something that I, I need to find. Where does this income need to go? How and and I honestly I feel like real estate's the strongest place to to invest. So that investing business, I mean, it is significant. We have over a hundred million dollars of real estate. So like we've really built something, but my involvement is very very low. I have helped find some of the deals that we, me and my partners own. I've helped manage some of them, fly out to some of them, but we've got uh, over 1,400 uh, units, houses and and uh, and and apartment units. So you and, st um, strictly stick on residential, or do you have a few commercials here and there if the deal's good? We only do, you know, residential is a tough. Well, Right, right. I mean, that because like yeah. apartments are technically commercial, right. yeah. but it's like commercial residential. So these are, that's what I mean. This is the only focus. We don't do any, like we don't do have any self-storage. My dad has self-storage. We don't do any land. We don't do any mobile homes. We only do apartment communities and a few like single family houses. Sure. So it's all doors and homes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So so, so that, and you have multi, and you don't need to get into the details if you don't want to. Feel free to shut me up. But um, you have multiple partners on this. Yeah. Um, does someone run the day to day? Is there a day to day? How do you like give us a, a a bird's eye view into how to run a real estate investing business? Now, I ran a real estate brokerage and a oh, mortgage cool. brokerage for years. I did my own investing. I never looked at my real estate investing as a business per se. It was like, that's what I did, as you said, on the side, but give us a bird's eye view into what, what that business quote unquote looks like. So you have to find deals in order to have real estate. You've got to be able to find something that's worth buying. So we have an acquisitions team where that literally their main focus is uh, talking to brokers like you, and getting on your list, letting you know exactly what it is that we're looking forward for and wanting to purchase. So that's part. The next part is 
what we call asset management. Asset management basically is you managing the property manager. So we have an asset management team. It's much smaller. It's one partner, one virtual assistant, and one um, and one part-time uh, bookkeeper where those three work to make sure that we're hitting KPIs on our, our actual assets that we manage and they communicate with a property manager that's on site. And so that's another position. The third position that many real estate businesses may need is branding and marketing if you are looking to attract capital. So you'll need that branding and marketing so that you can get in front of the right people so that high net worth individuals want to be part of the deals that you're closing. Because if even if I had $20 million cash today, I would still need to raise money because all I'd be able to do is buy $100 million. But if I had a solid team that could continue to build with that 20% down and I run out of money, I need to start raising, attracting capital so that I can still build this team. And the last piece is going to be what you call um, an investor liaison. So it's going to be somebody who communicates with the investors, not somebody who who's like the face of the company, branding, making sure that everybody knows that you that they can put their money with you, but somebody who specifically is connecting with the investors. And, and, and so that's pretty much what ours looks like. We had 14 on staff before uh, COVID. Now we only have four. So we went from wow. 14 to four because we really dropped our acquisitions team and only focused really on asset management, uh, preserving and the assets that we have. And you always give projections, a pro forma to your passive investor. Mm-hmm. And our goal is to meet or exceed those. And it's much easier if you're not distracted with all of the parts during a, a pandemic. So, And I, I'm only guessing at this, but I'm guessing that that was a really smart decision to stop acquisitions and to focus on rent collection, customer service, taking care of the current people. Uh, goodness If you sakes. ask me, the answer is yes, for sure. I, I would think so too. Um, moving along then, you know, I, we could have a whole episode just on, you know, the real estate business itself and where we think it's going, but we're going to save that for another time. One of the things that you've been doing more personally and spending a lot of time on, obviously, um, from our conversations on clubhouse and whatnot has been in the podcast world. You got your podcast studio set up, you run multiple podcasts, you even launched, uh, the podcast on podcasting, which is a great podcast. So if you want to check out podcast on podcasting, go search wherever you get podcasts, the podcast on podcasting podcast, and you'll find Adam Adams <laughs> podcast. On, is that because of Adam Adams? Do you like the podcast on podcasting, the double double? I really feel like it's important with our, when we create our brand, that it is easily searchable, that people know what they're looking for. You name your, you name your business Coca-Cola. In the beginning, nobody really knows what it means, that it's a drink, what it tastes like, but you name your business growyourshow.com or name your podcast, the podcast on podcasting. People that are searching for podcasts on podcasting, ours is going to be one of the top ones that come up. And I, I think that that's really important to 
make it easy p- for people to find you and know what you're about. Yeah, and, and know what you're about. It's like, because it, it's a lot more than just SEO, you know, search engine optimization. It's it's also, sometimes people, entrepreneurs get so clever with their dang titles, you know, and their names of everything. And I I, I just, I start shaking my head. You can see my face. I'm like, it, it makes me <laughs> tired sometimes when someone tries to explain their business and, you know, three sentences in, I'm like, what do you do? I don't understand it. And so there's something about simple, you know, like for me, I think a good title for a podcast, clever is good for sure, right? Like in the podcasting world, but you can't take away from the simplicity of understanding what the show is. And when you see the podcast on podcast and you're, you know, we're on the show, The Driven Entrepreneur, it's pretty simple. I think it's a great title, but it's also, we interview driven entrepreneurs. You don't have to think very hard. How, what goes into picking a good title if you're going to launch a show for your business? I I think that the place that you really want to start when you're getting your title is first identifying clearly who you serve. Like who is my avatar? That's it. What do they want? What are they looking for? That's really step one. Once you have that knowledge, you can start reverse engineering the experience or the UX of that avatar going to your phone and searching for a podcast that answers your questions. Yeah. If you start there, it will make titling your podcast way, way easier Um, because you you think, what do I want? Oh, I want to do this without this. I want to get this good result without this hardship. Okay. I'm going to type in, get the good result without this hardship that people generally find. That's the new name of your podcast and everybody's searching for that and it works. So you really just want to make it, like you said, simple and easy. That's really the first, the first main step. The second step is important as well. It's doing your reconnaissance. It's understanding what's already out there. So you got to research, you got to type in all of the ideas that you come up with through this user experience, understanding your avatar, and you start typing in the ones where you know you can solve the problem better than anyone else. And you just type that in, type the next one in, type the next one in and start taking really good note of what's already out there, um, what what names are available. And you'll be able to select from from doing those two steps, you'll be able to select a title for your podcast that'll work. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating when we look at like supply and demand, whether it's websites, book titles, podcast titles, that sometimes the problem is everybody's doing it, right? If I want, if I'm a church and I was like, I'm going to make it um, faith messages, that's the title of my podcast. Well, like you might find 15 other ones like that. So we want to go a little deeper. Alternatively, what do you think about when you start searching for something and you find nobody's doing it? Is that a red flag to you or is that an aha moment or it depends? It probably does depend, honestly, when you find that. If if nobody's doing it, there's, there is some merit to say that maybe it's not a good thing. Maybe, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe people no aren't looking for, for it. it. Yeah. But my, my thought is that most of the time, if nobody else is doing it, it probably is a good thing for you. It, it probably means that's what you should do um, because you'll be creating your own niche. Uh, and just real, real fast, there's a difference between like red ocean and blue ocean. And if you find that red ocean where there's already blood in the water, it, can be a challenge. You might be swimming upstream. You know people want it. That's the, that that's easy. But um, because it's already red, it's just like you're swimming upstream. You're making it more challenging on yourself. Sure. Those blue oceans, 
in some cases, nobody's ready for it or nobody's even looking for it, but you do know that you're the one that can support this. And for most of us, if we just have like a thousand true fans, we'll be more than fine. Or if we just have five clients that do this one thing, that are paying us this one thing, everything that you're looking for can be solved in some cases with just five excellent clients. So I I like to lean toward the blue ocean side. That's powerful too. I mean, you know, you don't have to have a million downloads like yourself. You don't have to necessarily have this massive audience where you're selling each one of them a 99 cent widget. You might just be able to have five really good, maybe high end or whatever you would call that clients. Um, as you think about kind of some of the benefits that you've seen in your business and podcasting, and I, and I want to go before you started helping podcasters, what was some of the initial benefits you saw from launching your own show? Right, because it's easy if we're in the industry. If I if I teach real estate sales, I'm like, hey, I love having a business of real estate because I teach real estate people. But before you were doing that, right? Like you're going back to your first show or the first six months, a year, two years. What were some of the big benefits? And are you happy that you launched when you did? I'm happy you, that I launched. I wish I did when I did, right? Because <laughs> there wasn't really an option to launch before I did. Um, but when did you I launch your first show? Uh, well, 2017. We the first show was launched. I'm trying to think if it was a. Um, September of 17 or September of 16, but I think it was 2017. The point is that I never thought about having a podcast before that. I didn't know really what a podcast was. I didn't yeah. want to be a podcast host. I didn't know the power of podcasting before that. I kind of learned most of that after. And, and so like, I guess when I say there wasn't an option, it was just, I had no idea that I could do this. And I, I wish if I could make any changes, I would have just learned it way sooner because Absolutely. It, the longer you're doing something, the more you're putting out content, the better. But you, you kind of asked, you know, what are some of the benefits that I got before I even started helping other people? And one of them it, that is the networking, like this one's kind of a hidden value because not everyone really thinks of it. They're only thinking, I need my listener to find me. I need, you know, X, Y, and Z. But what's interesting is when people say, you know, like you're the average of the five people that you hang around the sure. most. Well, if you're hanging around kind of more higher level people that you're interviewing on your podcast, that can benefit you. Absolutely. There's this guy, he, he's pretty, he's incredibly well-known in the real estate space. His name is Joe Fairless and he's got a daily podcast and he's, he used to be that type of person that like seemed untouchable because he was just so well-known in my industry. I never expected to be friends with him or to have his cell phone, but because I had a, a different real estate podcast, I was able to bring him on my show. And then he actually brought me on his stage. So he put, he has this Here conference every year. Mm -hmm. And so just like that networking aspect where you start to becoming a little bit closer with some of these other like podcast hosts or people that run these events where you're get, adding a little bit of value to them by having them on your show and giving them a bit more exposure to an audience that they couldn't have tapped in on their own. Um, it really supports, um, the, the connection that you have with these people. So there was a time that I reached out to him by um, giving him a call for one of our apartment communities, a 250 unit apartment community that we were working on. 
we were trying to figure out this new way of doing it. And so I just text messaged him and he got me an answer and put me in touch with his um, CPA immediately. And that wow. is just something you never really think is going to be a benefit. I was able to, um, I'm friends with now Hal Elrod, right? Which is sure. crazy because he's like sold millions of books and like uh, you text him and say, happy birthday, brother. And it's like, this is, this never would have happened if I didn't have a podcast. So that networking aspect is super, super beneficial for anybody who runs a podcast. And that's regardless if you even have one listener or not. The second thing Isn't that, I'll that say, true? Yeah. People misunderstand that. It's like, oh, I need to have a big syndicated show. I need to be Howard Stern or whatever before. Nobody, I think I've had probably out of hundreds of guests, I've probably had two and it's usually the PR firms ever ask, how many downloads do you have? Or what's this or what's that? They just, it's like, oh yeah, I'll come on your podcast. That'd be great. And then you get yeah. to build and, and get to know people, especially high level people. And they see you at the same level, don't they? It's like, okay, yeah. you're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. This is great. And now you're hanging out with, you know, talk about the five people you hang out with, right? You spend the most time yeah. with elevating status. I love it. And you said the second thing. The second thing is just simply credibility. So again, regardless if you have even one listener or not, I was at a conference and it was a real estate conference. I do a lot of real estate, but here I am at this real estate conference. I used to have a, a podcast that I ended up selling called Creative Real Estate Podcast. Mm -hmm. And we added a lot of value to passive real estate investors and active real estate investors on that show. And I was just sitting at a conference and my perfect avatar was there, the type of person that I want to work with, a multimillionaire uh, engineer, bridge engineer uh, from Philly that made tons of money. And he was a passive investor in a lot of other people's shows. And the only thing that I needed now is to get him to passively invest in, I mean, shows to passively invest in our real estate deals. So I Hello. said to this guy named Siva, and I, I, I was just talking to him, having a conversation. We grabbed a drink. And I said, oh, that, you know, I've got an episode on my podcast answers that question. If you want to hear it, it's episode 242 about which markets to identify as a real estate investor. And if you're looking to go into that next one, you're going to get a ton of value by listening to that one episode. So this guy says, his name's Siva. He goes, whoa, you have a podcast? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, I did it on purpose, to be honest. But he's like, oh, you have a podcast? That's that's cool. And, and so I, I said, Let, it looks like you have an iPhone. Can I, I'll subscribe to the show so you can listen to it. And so I got Siva's phone and I just typed in my old podcast name, you know, Creative Real Estate Podcast. And I subscribed to it. And I also gave myself a five-star rating real quick before I, mean, I handed it to him. Yeah, just yeah. don't tell Steve yeah. Jobs that. May as well. So, so I, I give I, I, I give the five star. It's subscribed. I hand it to him. I tell him which episode he should listen to. It's two forty two. It's gonna it's gonna help you learn that one thing. And he's like, "Thank you very much." Three months later, Siva gave me a phone call, and he said, "Adam Adams, I just have to tell you, I've listened to sixty of your podcast episodes." Whoa! And now I want to invest with you. Now he's one of our absolute biggest passive investors in our deals in our company, and it wasn't because he was already a listener. He didn't just automatically find it. Here I am at this conference and I just mentioned it and it was the easy transition 
to show the credibility for us for him to simply uh, listen to that when I wasn't around. Um, so that, that can be a huge, huge, huge benefit. And then other things you can make money through your podcast. Uh, on my very first episode of the very first podcast that I launched, we made 300 bucks. It's not a ton of money, hey. but it is a benefit of, of uh, a podcast is that this, this hard money loan lender, this guy who lends, lends money for fix and flips and things like that, he wanted to be in front of the same type of people that I was trying to attract. And so he gave us $300 so to sponsor the show. Yeah. And, and it helped, you know, pay for, you know, microphones and things that we needed. And it was a, it's a huge benefit. And later on, as the, as our audience grew, we got somebody else to pay um, 3,500 per month for a few months and just, Hey, I want to be part of your show. And 3500 a month is fair. I mean, if especially if you already have your own business and your own income coming on, that's just really gravy on top. So there's tons more benefits that I noticed, but those those three are are some that I think can really help us. Well, I love Adam, you're like thinking outside the box and I don't meet actually a lot of podcasters. Well, I Podcasters have been around for a while. You know, usually we try to we, we kind of get things figured out a bit, alternate ways to do things. Um, but there's a lot of people who think, oh, how do I monetize a podcast? And it's either I pitch stuff to my audience and then sell them. That's number one. Or I do CPM. You know, I do ad spend, and and people pay me twenty five bucks per thousand downloads, and I get a bunch of ads. And so it's like they think there's those are the only two things. But I couldn't agree with you more, man. My, the very first benefit I saw was I could now, I had the, the all access backstage pass pretty much to talk to anyone I wanted to. And now I can reach out to someone and instead of saying, Hey, I should speak on your stage or, Hey, I want, you know, whatever the conversation I would love to have authentically with that person, it always goes so much easier when the first conversation is, Hey, I love what you're doing. I'd love to have you on my show. And that starts the relationships going. Dude, we could go on on this uh, forever, but let's continue this one day, maybe on Clubhouse again. I've been off for a little while as well. Uh, not, <laughs> it's like the time, you know, I used to be staying up late nights and not being able to sleep. So I'd hang out for a couple hours, you know, late at night. And uh, well, I've been going to bed a little earlier. I don't know. Maybe I'm coming out of the pandemic feeling healthier and now. <laughs> I don't have my clubhouse time, but man, it's, it was phenomenal to finally get this chance to have a conversation. I hope this is the first of many, um, looking forward to watching you, following you in the future. Tell us, I want you to plug your show or your shows. If you still have another one. And I know you have a really cool guide to, I'm looking, y'all can't see this right now, but Adam has a really nice sure mic. He's got, you know, the podcast mic arm. You got a whole little setup going. I know you have a really great guide. If you're thinking about starting a show, whether it's on a budget or whether you have a multi-million dollar business, you're gonna launch a podcast as part of it and you have some dollars to spend. You got a guide of like wherever you are, the equipment list, how to get started, but tell us where to find you, plug your stuff, man. You've been so generous. Uh, we wanna be generous with you. Sure, uh, just in short, the company is called Grow Your Show. Uh, you can find it at growyourshow.com and the guide that you're mentioning is a PDF that my team put together with all of the mics that I've personally vetted, the different webcams that you might need that my, we've personally vetted and, and we use most of this equipment, but it comes from all prices. So like if you want to spend 500 bucks for a mic or if, if you want to spend 20 bucks for a mic, 
-hmm. it's all on there and it's all really, really good. Um, so it's just go to growyourshow.com forward slash PDF and you can see all of the equipment and or down that, download that PDF to keep it for yourself. Uh, the PDF has hyperlinks, by the way, so that you can go straight to Amazon and literally purchase it and have it to your house in a few days. So that's, that's, awesome. the, that's the company and that PDF you mentioned. And our, our podcast, you mentioned it before, the podcast on podcasting. I just call it POP for short. The podcast on podcasting. Uh, we put out four episodes per week, and it's all to help you be a better podcaster. Well, I, I'm excited about checking that as well, especially having this this backstage pass to connect with you. I'm excited about becoming a better show uh, host, a show producer, and I know you know your stuff. You know, we spent I've spent hours and hours in clubhouse rooms with you, listening and contributing, and and just watching. You know the people that are authentic and genuine and know what they're talking about, and you know the people that are repeating things. You clearly know what you're talking about. You've been there, done that, and you're still being there and doing that. Thank you for all you do, Adam. You are awesome. I appreciate you. All right, guys, that's the show this week. Wow, Adam Adams. Thank you so much to my guest, Adam Adams. I am stoked he finally was able to make it on. I made the time to make him come on, and here we go. This is for you. So if you're thinking about doing a show or you already do a show, go over to growyourshow.com slash PDF. You can get his equipment guide, check out all the things he's doing, and then, of course, follow the podcast on podcasting wherever you get your podcast. If you don't know what a podcast is, just search Adam Adams, the podcast on podcasting, and you'll find a gazillion different platforms, Spotify, Apple, Google. They all have them, uh, and it'll be fun. Make sure you follow my show. If you're listening to this on the radio and your little dial there, make sure you head over to On Demand. You can get all our back episodes, almost 300 of them now. No paywall, totally free, all archived. You can pick and choose and listen to any interviews you want. They're all there for you. Just search for The Driven Entrepreneur. Love you, appreciate you. So excited for you to take this next step, and maybe your next step is podcasting. I'll see you next week with another Driven Entrepreneur. Bye-bye.